Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Jennifer Bomar is the owner of Juvenescence Child Development Center in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. She's a proud mom to two teenage daughters, ages 13 and 15, and has a huge sense of humor, emotional intelligence, and wit that consistently comes across in our conversation today. Her energy is incredible, and she just has this, it's all going to be okay attitude that's really served her very well in her life. With 25 teachers, 85 families, and 110 children, the news of the COVID pandemic coming closer to her school doors was something that she didn't really have a heads up about or ample time to really prepare for in the way that she wanted to. We begin our conversation with Jennifer sharing the model and infrastructure of her program, as well as her mindset in some of those early days, with the Canadian government giving out certain subsidies and money. Jennifer was really forward-thinking with her strategies about how she wanted to use the resources to make her school better. I'm not a news person, so I'd heard the word COVID, but I don't really pay any attention to that stuff. When it affects my corner of the world, I'll know about it. And so I didn't really have any feelings about it until I heard rumor that schools might close. All of our schools are inside public schools. We were being told by the school board, no, we're not closing. We're not closing. We're staying open. And our kids, we said goodbye to them on Friday. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday. And then over the weekend, the government announced that schools and childcare mandatory closure. And so my feelings about that were we didn't get a heads up to be able to prepare. And to really, you know, say goodbye to set our families up, our, our kids up with that, that closure. And so, you know, we said goodbye on Friday and see you on Monday. And Monday didn't come for two and a half months. And that was really hard. And so, you know, the news came and all of a sudden I'm, I'm off the couch and upstairs and calling my executives being, okay, what's our plan? Who do we call? How do we notify families? Because some of them aren't watching the news. They're going to show up tomorrow morning for childcare and we're not there. So that was kind of our, our initial, you know, feeling and, and response to the news that we were going to be closed. The government actually made decisions about if you got to stay open for essential workers. I know in the States, everyone got to choose, you know, I stayed open with 10 kids. They stayed open with eight kids. The government here drew a circle around hospitals and where first Um, responders would be working, essential workers. 
and picked winners and losers about who got to stay open during that time. And I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with being on the losing end of that. We got to have two and a half months where we got to reset. We got to really think out all of our policies and procedures and train our people really well around COVID protocols, but also around mental health, theirs and the children's and how we support families and how we show up, how we build in a curriculum that allows for the children to share what they're going through and one that builds in movement that allows the children to shake it off. That just gave us, I think, tremendous strength when it came to reopening. We were prepared and like everyone else who got to open, they were like every day scrambling with what do I do today? What do I do today? We got to kind of learn from some others. Actually in the States, uh, one of the ladies from the owners only group, they're a few weeks ahead of where we were on the curve. So she was sharing her information with me. So even though we didn't have government guidance, we had a pretty good idea of what might be coming and could really prepare our policies. And we looked at how do we make the most out of this time? And one of the things we did is our government had a 75% wage subsidy. So I laid off the majority of my staff. The ones that I kept worked 75% of their hours and the government covered 100% of those wages. So we really minimized our overhead in that way. And then we used some money to hire practicum students. Um, work experience students who, you know, I could hire four of them for the price of one, essentially, and the government was paying 75% of their wages. And to do redo our website, to standardize our policies, to look at all of everything from an HR perspective. And so we looked at what good could come out of this COVID situation. And well, if the government's giving away money and I can hire people to do these specialized things that I can't do, I'm going to take advantage of that. When crisis hits, we are naturally seeking leadership and guidance. We want someone to tell us what to do, where to go, and reassure us that everything's going to be okay. But what if you are the leader? What if you are the person who needs to do all of that? That is a big responsibility. And while many leaders leaned on their mentors and advisors and community of leaders, there was a lot of silo decision-making that needed to be made in the moment. And the stakes could not be higher with actual life or death consequences. Jennifer shares how she built her resilience muscle, how some of it comes from inside of her and how she was raised and how she continues to flex this muscle through her daily leadership practices. She's always asking herself, how can I do more with less? How do I use these resources better? How can I create more efficiency here? It's from these constraints that I can make amazing work. Her belief is what you have today is enough. And she always works from that. For me, it's a lot of innate. I just am good at adapting and, and rolling with what comes. And we've always had practicum students, but always in early childhood education. And I'm like, why can't we have practicum students from other disciplines? So they were work experience. We paid them minimum wage because they just wanted to get their foot in the door and get some experience. And I'm always looking at how do we utilize the resources that we have to the best? In Canada, childcare is not a high profit industry. And so 
my 25 year career is how can I get more out of less? Yes. Right? That is, yes. that yeah. is the nature of childcare. And I'm sure that's across the world. Right. And I looked at my to-do list and I was like, man, this has been on my to-do list forever, you know, to create a really solid training program for my staff and all of the standards that go with our policies and I'm never getting to it. That was my realization. I'm never getting to it. There are always going to be those crisis things that keep showing up at my door that prevent me from making real headway on this. Let me find somebody who can. Yeah. Um, It's important, but it's also not my expertise. So let me find people who are better at it than I am. The debate of nature versus nurture is as old as time itself. Along with the other debate of experience is the mother of all skill versus training your mindset to show up in a certain way. I invited Jennifer to take us back to her childhood and where this tenacity and this mindset of how she shows up every day really comes from and how she has built upon that over the years. She talks about the specific choices of words in her company and how they frame mistakes and how they approach inviting experimentation and innovation. I can't even tell you where it came from. It is just me. I have the best parents who really didn't put limits on us. I had parents who said yes, unless it was imperative to say no. And so whatever ideas I had, whatever I came up with, they were like, sure. Um, The number of lemonade stands I had, (laughs) um, right? All the beginner businesses. I was just always that go-getter person. And with a vision of, I can do whatever I desire in this world, um, that, that I have it in me and I have the skills and I can adapt and I can. And that doesn't mean there aren't moments where I question myself or that I'm like, today I can't. But overall, I just, my parents trusted me and I trust myself to just make the best decision I'm capable of. And if it turns out to be a crap decision, I just make a different one tomorrow. I don't think in the way of, oh, that was a mistake. I just am like, well, that's not working. Let's do something else. We don't even say the word mistake in our company. It's not in my vocabulary to say mistake. We just say, this isn't working well. What do we learn from it? And now we adjust and we we carry on. I don't like having my mistakes pointed out to me. (laughs) And I don't think other people do when it comes to being called out in that way. But if always we approach just what isn't working, there's no judgment about it. A mistake feels judgy to me. And when you say, well, you made a mistake, right? It's just data. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Where do we go from here? Let's carry on. And that, that attitude where Nothing is so big that it's worth getting riled up about and having a calm approach to managing each of those situations and carrying on gives my people peace of mind that I've got their back because it's not about judgment. It's we, we are a family. We are in this together. It's not your mistake. This is our problem. And so we carry the burden together and it just gives people permission to try new things but also to not be afraid. I know a lot of centers, licensing shows up and everyone's like, licensing's here, licensing's here. And everybody like 
scrambles and my people don't bat an eye. Nobody cares that licensing shows up. Nobody cares when accreditation shows up because we have really high standards. And if you make a mistake, we're just going to adjust and carry on. And so nobody needs to scramble. And that attitude is just who we are as a company. Jennifer is raising teenage daughters. And with the lockdowns in Canada, her kids had to adapt to virtual school learning and not being able to see their friends as often or sports or other outlets that they have. Jennifer had a specific approach of how she dealt with all of this and is continuing to navigate this season with her children. Some of the insights that she shares here and her choice of words that she uses with her children are an inspiration truly to other moms of teenagers as well. I have the most independent of children. When I worked frontline with kids, the kids that I struggled to connect with uh, were kids that were just higher needs when it came to attention. And so I really worked hard to raise kids that were independent, that were capable, that could cook for themselves, did chores around the house, um, were self-motivated. And one of the things that helped us through COVID was I don't ask my kids about their schoolwork ever. Um, If they want to share what happened in their day, my kids will share. But I never say, do you have homework? Because it's just one more thing to nag about when you have kids at home, especially teenagers, you know, it's a constant, could you just pick up the clothes off the floor? When's, you know, I know you're not going anywhere and you're not doing anywhere. Could you maybe take a shower today? Could that be on your priority list? They get out of bed. No, seriously, their alarms go off in the morning. They open their computer. They do their school via Zoom. They haven't brushed their teeth. They haven't even got out of bed yet. The teacher does attendance and says, here is your assignment. And then they turn off their cameras and go back to bed for 30 minutes. And my husband is super concerned about that. I don't care. As long as they're getting their schoolwork done, I don't care. And whose job it is to follow up on their schoolwork is not mine. It's the teacher's. And I've raised my kids to be, it's your life. You get to make it what you want. So I don't nag about homework. You want to get a crappy grade? It's your life. It's your knowledge. And so that has really helped us to be able to enjoy having our kids at home is because I'm not also taking on the burden of teacher. Um, And because I've raised really self-motivated, independent children, they do do all of their schoolwork. My oldest one made the honor roll this year. Even though her health problems keep her home from school, a lot, um, even when they were in school for a period of time. She comes home, she watches the recording of the class, she figures out the work, and she catches up on her schoolwork, even when she's been home ill with health problems. And so, you know, that just allowed us to enjoy our kids more. And then I adopt kind of the same approach of my parents, where I just say yes more than I say no. You want to hang out with your boyfriend? Great, I'll drive you there. Do you need to pick you up later? You guys want to go somewhere? I'll drive you there. I'll pick you up. It just alleviates a lot of the battles in our house. And then as far as work, I just showed up in the same way I have always showed up, which is I'm available to my people, strive to be empathetic, even though that's, you know, feelings aren't really my thing, but also with flexibility. And that's how I've always shown up for my people. So I didn't really have to adapt too much. I just had to be patient with 
listening more to things that were hard for me to listen to because I had my own things going on um, with my family. We had several people pass during COVID and some in a very um, tragic matter in um, the largest mass shooting in Canadian history. And so I had my own emotional things and then people were coming with their emotions. And so that was the one big thing for me is how do I listen and take that without taking it on as my own problem? Because I got enough of my own stuff, keeping the business afloat, being available to my family and managing my own emotional well-being. Many of you listen may pride yourself in being the fierce mama bear of your school. You're the nurturer, the caretaker. Maybe staff come over to you and want to give you hugs in the morning and have FaceTime with you, which is super special. And you love loving on your team. You love being there for them and nurturing and taking care of them and giving them all these things. Jennifer has built an incredibly collaborative culture who lean on each other and know that she will always have their back. But what's interesting is that she doesn't have your typical mushy personality of let me come and take care of you. Let me give you a big hug. Come, let's sit down. So if that's you and you're wondering how you can create a beautiful, warm and welcoming, loving culture, but maybe you aren't the hugger person or maybe you're not the person that likes to sit and really listen to people, you know, pour their heart and their tears out. Jennifer shares how she does it. And as you listen, I want you to remember, there is no one way to lead or be there for your people. Find what's right for you and for the people on your team. And that's how you become unstoppable. I'm not a hugger, so COVID has not affected me in that way. I'm not like a lot of you who are crying out for hugs right now. Another blessing of COVID. Nobody is trying to hug me. Um, (laughs) My family gets to hug me. I don't need to hug my coworkers. I don't. That's not who I am. Um, <laughs> we were joking before the call that my door should have a sign that says, check your emotions at the door. No hugs here. <laughs> yeah. So the way I really show up for my team is I show up with a sense of humor and my team don't come to me emotional about the everyday things. You know, I had a staff who lost uh, a son a year ago and she has had her own journey. And when things get overwhelming, she comes in and chats it out. And it's it's a back and forth conversation. And I always come from the standpoint of just what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. Is it just to unload for a few minutes? Do you need a suggestion about have you been journaling or have you gone to visit his memorial site and just to talk to him and let the load off? What What do you need from me? And For the most part, because of the kind of person I am, my staff go emotional meltdown somewhere else. Um, And when they do come to me, it's, I just need a strategy. I just need a sounding board. But also how I show up with empathy is different. It's not all about the tears and the hugs and, and making you feel better. I'm about what can I do to help this situation get better? Because you can't come to work and cry every day. You still have a job to do. But, you know, is it, I can do without you today. Go home for today. Go connect with your family and the people you need. I had some staff over Christmas who, because of our restrictions here, were going to be alone at Christmas. So the conversation was, how do we connect with them over the holidays as an executive team? How do we make sure that they're 
cared for? What's that check-in look like? I had another one that had foot surgery and another one who was on quarantine. Never a dull moment. Right. And so over Christmas. And so, you know, like she can't cook dinner standing on broken ankle that's healing. Right. And you can't even get to the grocery store. So we ordered them Christmas dinner, pre-cooked Christmas dinner, and I delivered it to their house Christmas Eve so that Christmas Day they had dinner for their family. And so I don't show up so much in an emotional way, but as not, I'm still thinking of you and knowing you're having a hard time. And I care. Yeah. I just don't care over Kleenex and crying. And I think when you open the door also to the emotional floodgates of your staff, yes. you become the team therapist mm-hmm. and that prevents you from doing your job and it makes it a place where people can just come and unload all the time. I don't come and unload on my employees. I have to take my emotional things somewhere else. And I just don't think it's appropriate for in the workplace for that to be just the standards. You can have empathy and you can have flexibility and you can have compassion without being a 24-7 therapist. As we start to look at the horizon once again, and we begin to dream, we begin to lift up our heads to see, wow, what what can we do here? What is possible? Jennifer shares what's on the horizon for her and for her company, and what she's really looking at for herself. We were in a period that felt like survival, but because I've always been somebody who looks at how we can we do more with less? <laughs> we had the resources to carry us through COVID. And in fact, are at least financially as stable as we were before COVID started, um, despite having, you know, 50% enrollment and needing 100% of our staff for COVID protocols. So for us, what we're really looking at for the future is how do we diversify a little bit? so that future crisis doesn't have such an impact. So I'm looking at getting into the next phase of my career, which is to do some consulting and to step back and allow the business to, and my trusted people to uh, run that on my behalf, which is hard because this is my baby and, and was my dream. But also we're looking at what things have we created as far as tools that or programming that could be supportive of other um, people and looking at, could we put some of those things on teachers pay teachers um, and create another revenue uh, stream and share the work we've done? Uh, There's no point in anyone starting at square one uh, and creating the wheel. There have been others that come before you. And so I want to start to share that knowledge and the things that we do really well at Juvenescence out into our larger community and, and supporting that. And so that required us to look at where is the company now and what is our structure. And um, we did do some restructuring so that, you know, we've got the people and the resources in, in place. And now we're hiring those visionary people when positions come available that are like, have a little more technological bent, but can spend part of their day in ratio with the kids, but part of their day doing some of those technology things. And so we're just looking at how do we meet those goals now? Wherever you are in your leadership journey, remember, it starts with you. It starts with you looking inward on who you are, 
how you want to show up, and how you want to lead. And now, Jennifer and I would love to hear from you. What resonated with you most from our conversation today? Please join us in our Schools of Excellence Lounge, which is our free Facebook group, and join us in the conversation. confidently lead your school to excellence? I know you do. I know that you're working so hard right now, but it's diffused energy in a lot of different directions. Whatever it is that you want to achieve in your school, whether that's higher retention, skills to hold staff accountable, the ability to start passing the baton to the next in line, the skills to lead difficult conversations, how to get teacher buy-in, parent buy-in, how to schedule a calendar so you can have a life outside of work, how to find the confidence inside of yourself to trust your decision-making and the ability to lead other leaders, the ability to truly step into your greatness for everything that you know that's already inside of you. The directors in our circle and our owners HQ programs are our premium experience for school leaders to take their skills, their mindset, and their confidence to the next level. We do this through coaching, through training, and accountability. You see, I want to be your guide in the journey so you can be the hero of your life. My team and I will guide you every step of the way to ensure that you get results and a transformation in your school. Because if you want things to change, if you believe in your heart that you have what it takes to make that transformation, and you want someone to guide you, to give you the tools, to hand you the scripts, to give you the done for you systems, to show you the templates, to show you every step of the way what's next, and you want a community of other amazing leaders to support you so you never feel alone, then I want you to apply for the Directors Inner Circle or Owners HQ program to see if you are a fit. You could go to hani.me slash join the DIC or click the link in the show notes. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.